0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. My name is Strangely. Anyone listening to this could be called Friends, and this is a podcast. So we'll go with that for now. I could spend a lot of time sort of explaining why I haven't gotten any more of the Art That Influenced Me series out. Spit Out the Bones is what it's called, I guess. (laughs) But I would just be giving the usual excuses that creatives often give when stuff doesn't come out on time. And in all honesty, I don't think I'm going to be working on that series for a while. My original intention was to have all of those written and recorded so that they could sort of come out during the 10 months that I'm away at school. But I'm already here in Norway. (laughs) Spoiler alert, I'm in Norway. Um, And school is starting in about a week and i realized that sort of having a pre-recorded thing coming out like moby dick was while i was in the arctic is less of what i really want to be doing right now i have decided i'm going to make sure i spend at least 30 minutes every 2 weeks recording one of these and just sort of sharing what's going on at boat school people were ask, a lot of people were asking me at things like String Band Jamboree, Oregon Country Fair, um, and other places where I perform and <laughs> see friends uh, if I could keep them updated, if I could blog or write or make something to sort of share what's going on day to day and uh, you know post things on Instagram and whatnot. I have a really hard time taking photographs of really cool things while they're happening. I often take photographs as sort of the second coolest thing. So for instance, uh, yesterday I got here to Norway and saw a bunch of beautiful sculptures and things in downtown Oslo. And the only things I took photos of were the tubes of fish paste at the supermarket. The, the tubes of fish paste will be what actually accompanies this ep- episode. But more on that in a moment. So I guess what I want to do is catch you all up on what's been going on with me this summer and use that as sort of a launching board into, I guess, setting up where I am now, and then I will talk more about school next episode because I will have actually been there. So to recap, I am finally in Norway uh, a year late. Last year, about uh, 12 months ago, almost exactly, I found out I wasn't going to the boat building school here in Norway, in Fossen. And this happened because, (laughs) it's a long story, but sort of the short version, is that the school wasn't paying for their web hosting correctly. So some of my emails to them were getting deleted, so they hadn't realized that I hadn't received my welcome letter yet which is the first piece of documentation one needs, I now know one needs, to apply for a visa. So what happened was I didn't get my welcome letter, which means I didn't realize I had to do anything else, which means I didn't realize I had to go and apply for a student visa to be here in Norway. Uh, And that was sort of something where like I had, the school had sent me a couple of pieces of, you know, information. And then I had sent the school a question being like, is there anything else I need to do? And then that email didn't get responded to. And then that was, you know, sort of last spring. And then last summer, I sent a couple more follow up emails asking, like, anything else I need to do? What's going on? And the school just didn't get back to me. And part of this was because of the web hosting issue. And part of it was that in Norway, people take vacations very seriously. (laughs) I still don't quite have a handle on it, but there are certain times of year where just, Everything shuts down. Anybody who works in an office, anybody who works in any kind of like academia, anything is just completely unavailable. Everyone goes off to a cabin in the woods somewhere for a week or two and just like off the grids themselves. It's probably one of the reasons that Norway has a very high standard of living and everyone seems pretty chill here is that they all take lots of vacation time. Lots more vacation time than folks in the US, or so I've been told. I, I, this is my sort of you know American experience of these things. I haven't s- spent a lot of time in Norway during vacation time, so I wouldn't know exactly. But my observations of it from my Norwegian friends seem to be that everyone takes vacation very seriously. Um, so yeah, long story short, the school didn't prepare me adequately for coming, and I didn't prepare the school for my arrival, and I didn't have the right paperwork, and everything sort of blew up during String Band Jamboree 2022. So I was running around String Band Jamboree, welcoming people to Jamboree, performing my sets, helping people find campsites, artist liaisoning, helping put up infrastructure basically, all of the work I do to help run the String Band Jamboree while simultaneously trying to call consulates and embassies and immigration paperwork experts to see if there was anything I could do. So so my personal life was in a slow motion meltdown over the course of that week as I threw a festival. And uh, yeah, needless to say, it was uh, quite the personal apocalypse in the sense, uh, using the word apocalypse in the sense of revelation, which led to a very interesting year for me over the past 12 months, because I had sort of set aside this time to go to Norway and be unavailable and whatever. So I didn't have festivals, but I didn't have any gigs booked. I didn't have any plans. I didn't have any place to live. I just sold my van. You know, it was sort of this weird liminal space. It kind of felt the way I felt when I dropped out of school for the first time. Like, oh, I could do anything. What? (laughs) Uh, So I just kind of decided to be really open and available for whatever experiences popped up. I went and spent some time down in LA with some close friends sort of processing this sudden reversal. And then I got an offer to go on tour with a band called Three for Silver and just sort of help out with tour management and logistics, help drive the car, help sell the merch, etc. Three for Silver generally tours as a trio, three musicians who also double as logistics drivers, load in, load out. They they do everything for themselves, but it's kind of this like three-person shindig and the band was down a person for their fall tour in 2022 so i went along just as someone to help out and my friend lucas who is the band's bass player sort of main dude and i were really good friends but we found out over the course of that tour that we also can travel really well together we're also able to spend time together, figuring things out. And we seem to enjoy doing that. I just heard something go by. I don't know what it is. I missed it. This house is on this little gravel logging road and very few vehicles go by. So it's sort of like you hear one and you're like, who's that?" Is it where, it's a dead end logging road, I guess. Sort of a dead end logging road. There's gates at both ends. Anyway. Uh, So I found out Lucas and I also get along really well on tour and Lucas enjoyed having me there. I enjoyed being there. I enjoyed sort of the, the rhythm of the tour and toward the end of the tour, Lucas told me that Three for Silver was booked for the Vienna Accordion Festival this past March and they didn't have an accordionist in the band at the time, the previous accordionist had dropped out. So I offered to learn all three for Silver songs just to play that one gig, you know, sort of thinking I would go on the next tour as well as sort of an additional management helpful person. What ended up happening is I ended up learning all of the songs and uh, played that gig, and we had such a good time that I kept playing with Three for Silver, and I'm now a member of Three for Silver, which is wild and unexpected uh, for a number of reasons. One, uh, I, I've never really seen myself joining a band. It's always been a strange, you know, kind of a, 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 a pipe dream, something that I've always kind of wanted but was never really sure how to get. And hadn't really invested a lot of time in figuring out how to get. You can, there's sort of things in life that you might want, but if you're not spending any time making yourself available to them, you might have no idea how to get them. I, for instance, if you've always wanted a PhD, but you're not even bothering to go get your undergrad something like that, I guess. And this feels a little bit like someone all of a sudden handed me an honorary doctorate in strangeliness from the University of Lucas Warford. (laughs) I don't know if that's a funny concept to all of you as it is to me, but I find that very entertaining. Uh, Lucas offered me a spot in the band to, to play the songs for that one gig and we enjoyed playing so much that he offered me sort of a semi-permanent spot in the band, which was very unexpected because I don't play in bands. I'm not a member of a band. A lot of people, I think, look at what I do as a performer and see either a a, a solo act or someone who can lead a band. You know, I, I often will get some friends to jump in with me and back back me up on things, but. I don't think much of what I've done as a solo performer over the last 15 years would really incline most people to believe I could sit in a band and just play along with somebody else's songs and follow along. That having been said, I <laughs> I do really enjoy that when I get the chance to do it. A few years back, I spent some time learning a bunch of uh Upright bass parts for a friend's band, sort of with the idea that that might turn into a long-term gig. It didn't for a number of reasons, but I, I did enjoy the exercise. I've also really enjoyed backing up circus acts with semi-improvised accordions. So, for people paying close attention to me, maybe it wouldn't be as big of a leap. But I think for a lot of people, the the thought of me just sort of hanging out in a band and and being part of the sonic landscape without drawing a huge amount of attention to myself is a really funny, unexpected thing. All that having been said, it's actually one of my favorite spaces to exist in on stage. Something where I can be adding exactly the things that I'm best at adding without feeling like I have to carry the whole show on my back. Which, which can be super fun and it, it's sort of one of those things where if you are a performer on stage and you're performing completely solo all on your own just out there naked in the wind as it were when you when you land it when it hits it's the best feeling in the world. I think that's the reason that a lot of a lot of people chase the dragon of being a solo stand-up comedian because you have no props you have no one else on stage with you. It's just you and whatever you can say to make the audience laugh. And, and it's it's addictive. It's absolutely addictive because when it lands, it's so it's such a pure high in terms of the performance high. Because you know that it was you. You know that you did it. Now, anyone who's been performing solo for as long as I have knows that sometimes you get a really great audience. Sometimes... They're a lot more primed to have fun than you'd expect. You know, there's a, there's a lot of ways that it isn't actually you doing it. You know, you didn't build the theater and do all the promo. You didn't, you know, personally one-on-one invite every single person. You know, there's, there's a million ways that other people have contributed to the moment of killing on stage as a solo performer. But that's not how it feels when it's happening. When it's happening, it feels unlike anything else to hold an audience in your hand and take them somewhere is an incredible human experience. I, I think there's something in all human beings that long for that, that feeling of, of connecting with an audience, connecting with more than one person at a time. You know, for some people that's just having dinner with two other friends or whatever. It doesn't have to be this huge performative thing, but I I think there's something intrinsic in human beings that wants to feel connected to a group whether that be your family your circle of friends whatever and i think it's a shortcut to really feeling successful at that if you can perform for a big group of people and sort of nail it um And so I I understand why some folks chase that and and also why I chase that. You know, I, I love that when I'm up in front of 100 people and I know that I've I've really connected with them and I'm taking them somewhere and they're really enjoying it. You know, it's I often tell other performers that really it's not about making the audience have a good time. It's about showing them how. So when I'm doing one of my sing-alongs, it's, I, I offer the sing-along part in a song, not as a, you need to do this so that I feel good. It's, I think if you do this, you will feel good. And I love that. But that's the thing, is I love making the audience feel good. And when I'm carrying the whole show on my own back as a solo performer, it's very difficult to make the whole audience feel good. To sort, to sort of, you know, any mistakes I make carry on with me and, and follow me as this kind of echo through the rest of the show. Whereas when you're on stage as part of a group, even a duo, you have an opportunity to push a little bit less hard. You can sort of relax into it and you can play to your strengths and you don't necessarily have to play against your own type in order to provide a varied experience. I once saw a solo Buffon dell'arte style clown. So this picture, is sort of a, a very aggressive clown, built on a conceptualization of clowning that goes all the way back to the Middle Ages. Uh, the show was called Red Bastard, and he spent the hour pushing the audience as hard as he could to sort of create this experience wherein by the end of the show, they believed that they were capable of anything. The audience believed they were capable of anything. And then he kind of used that energy to hopefully inspire people to go out into their lives and and make some big changes. It was a really fantastic show, very impactful, lots of fun. But he opened the show by saying that something interesting would happen every 10 seconds. And You know, sometimes it was something he said, something he did, but also there was a lot of physical comedy, slapstick, fall down gags. And by the end of it, this guy was clearly exhausted. I mean, the dude was in incredible shape, but still by the end of it, he was pouring sweat because something interested had to happen every 10 seconds. And that's roughly what's happening for any solo performer, I think. I think the audience will be a little bit more forgiving if they sense that you're building to a point or you're headed somewhere. But it's it's very difficult to be on stage and not be giving an audience something interesting every 10 seconds and feel like you're doing a good job. It's you know, it's it's why often I think being on stage time seems to slow down. You know, you feel really awkward in it. And the audience also feels really awkward in it if there's a pause, an awkward pause in any kind of a performing setting, is very awkward. It's so awkward for the audience, for the performer. And afterwards, you can watch videos of some of these awkward pauses. And sometimes a pause that feels so awkward in the moment on stage isn't actually that long of a pause. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a weird thing carrying a show all by yourself. And when you get to be a part of a group, you can let somebody else fill that space. And if you're playing to your strengths, someone who's maybe a little quieter, a little slower at delivery, can, you can create space for that person. You can drive interest towards someone who maybe wouldn't be able to hold the crowd as hard on their own by giving your focus. So, for instance, if I'm a very big, boisterous, loud performer and I'm sharing the stage with someone who's much quieter, soft-spoken, etc., I can create a big moment and then give all of that focus to the quieter, softer performer and imbue whatever they're about to do with the intensity of my large, boisterous nature. This is starting to get a little bit uh, inside baseball. Inside baseball? But, see, inside of a baseball is a ball of cork. This is getting all a bit cork. Anyway, I know this is getting a little shop-talky from a performance sense, but I'm trying to sort of paint a picture as to why I love being in a band. Playing with Three for Silver is incredible because I can create a little bit of a backup for Lucas doing some of his wild bass riffs. Lucas and I can throw focus to Bex, the fiddle player, and allow her to sing even a song that she wrote on a bigger stage with bigger orchestration than would happen if she just played it solo with her guitar, we can sort of add layers and fill things out in a way that you can't as a solo artist. The band also plays a couple of my songs and they're just bigger and more exciting and a lot more fun when you have other people, With them. Other people who've rehearsed them, other people who really, really deeply know them. This isn't like having a couple of friends jump in at a pickup gig or back me up during one of my silly late night tent shows. This is, we've rehearsed these songs of mine and we've now played them dozens of times as the band. And they can sense sort of the starts and stops in my performance style in a way that someone who is just trying to follow along might not quite be able to keep up with. So anyway, if this hasn't quite hammered at home yet, this spending all this time sinking into Three for Silver and becoming a part of that is something that took up a great deal of time and effort in my summer. Three for Silver not only did a tour this past spring in March and April all over Europe, but then there were a bunch of gigs in June, July, and the beginning of August all over Washington, Oregon, excuse me, and California. I don't know where that came from. All I've eaten today is a little bit of fish paste in a tube. Don't worry, I'm going to get back to the fish paste in a tube. So I joined this band and played all these gigs with them. I think my favorite gig we played was at Oregon Country Fair this year as the house band for the Rose City Circus. It's a troupe of circus artists, jugglers, acrobats, there's a strongman man, uh, from port mostly from Portland and they come together and put on this really fantastic variety show and all of the songs for the show are three for silver songs. So, you know, a lot of songs that we the band already knew, a couple new ones that we had to work up. And then we did these big shows at Oregon Country Fair You know, hundreds of people in the audience, just huge crowd noise, huge reception and a huge amount of work. Uh, (laughs) But again, not the same level of intensity and work if I had been the only musician up there. You know, there were there was me and Lucas and Bex and Ira, another three for silver fiddle player who, you know, everybody has different strengths. Ira is a fantastic musician in the sense that he can listen to another musician. And this is the first time. This is not a rehearsed thing. Ira can just jump right in and really, really add a lot of interest and excitement with his fiddle playing. So to kind of have like to get to be on stage with three incredible musicians and sort of barely be holding my own while Intense, huge circus acts are happening. And I I mean, I will will absolutely own the fact that I am a very, very difficult to please person when it comes to circus. Uh, (laughs) I've just seen too much of it. I've performed too much of it. I've been involved with too many circuses over the years to really be impressed or blown away by, you know, average stuff. But the show that we were part of at Oregon Country Fair had some amazing acts in it. And and also people were just amazing performers, really able to hold an audience all on their own. And you combine that with a live band providing the level of intensity that Three for Silver does. And you get something truly special. The the finale act of the show was a Strongman piece. Uh, Dutch, the Strongman, and Angela... Uh, his acrobatics partner did this piece where Dutch would balance a 25 foot aluminum pole on his forehead. And then Angela would go up to the top of it and do a handstand. It's just insane. Like I, I'm describing a thing I have seen and I still find it difficult to believe that it's real. And to me, that's the, the beauty of circus is you, You get to see something in person that seems to defy physics, logic, reality. Take your pick. You know, I think that's the true beauty of a lot of performance art forms, whether they be music, circus, or even something like painting, getting to watch someone paint or sculpt or something is it's like, things that really shouldn't be possible or things that seem to strain the limits of credulity in terms of what is possible they they open your eyes they open your heart they they open you up to the possibility of not only what could happen but but also what you could do and for the first time in a long time, I've kind of been experiencing a lot of that by being a member of Three for Silver and also a lot of the other things that happened over this past year where I didn't have a plan of what I was going to do. I, I, had, I had the level of no plans of a recent college dropout who was 19 years old, and I just kind of said yes to a lot of the things that were offered to me be it playing in a band or helping run a festival or helping a friend on a home project. I just kind of jumped in on stuff and it led to some really fantastic experiences. You know, Three for Silver tours all over Europe. I could tell tour stories on this podcast until I'm blue in the face. And I think maybe over the coming weeks, if I have days where I sit down to record one of these and not a lot has happened, I might tell some tour stories from being in Europe because it's just, it's wild to get to experience things through the lens of being on tour with a band. And some of those experiences were things that caught me off guard. You know, uh, I'll tell you one quick one. We did a show in Poland. It was my first time in Poland. And whenever I go to any country to perform, if English is not the primary language, I try to learn, you know, three or four words in the local language or even just sometimes the local slang, if it is an English speaking country, just to sort of connect to to really let the audience know that I am aware of where I am and I'm aware that it's not where I'm used to, that I'm very conscious of the fact that I've come into their world to connect with them and so one of the things I like to do is learn how to say good job or well done or something in the local language and it's because you know I I do this sing-along where I just get everyone to yell hey on a, a certain signal and so I'm up there and I'm teaching the audience to yell hey and I'm not using any any words. I'm sort of doing it as this kind of chaplain-esque mime mime performance because it's pretty easy to to get that across. You just start yelling, hey, and you make the signal and eventually they get it. And I finally got them to a level where they're doing it right and they're kind of about to do it in the song. And I just look at the audience and I go, dobra robota, which is Polish for good job or a rough approximation of Polish for good job, I should say. And that room exploded. They were so happy. I got one of the biggest applauses I've received in years just for saying two words in Polish. And it's incredibly rewarding when an audience responds like that. On the other hand, it's incredibly depressing that that was enough to blow their minds. Like other people coming in there from wherever don't make that level of effort to connect but I think it, it speaks to the worthiness of this concept I have of like trying to connect with an audience to meet them where they're at. It's, it's what I was talking about earlier, where you're showing them how to have a good time. You're not telling them how to have a good time. You're not telling them what to do. You're showing them. And I think part of leading, of showing people something is to meet them where they're at. And, and carry them a little bit of the way with you. I think that's why I'm possibly sh- changing up what I had planned to do for this podcast. As, I, as excited as I am to eventually talk about all of those things that influenced me growing up, I realized that I'd kind of gotten away from this being, I don't know, sort of a sharing space. In the sense that I'm Telling you right now a little bit about where I'm at and what I'm doing, and inviting you to hang out and follow along with me. I'm going to be a little less engaged with a lot of social media stuff while I'm over here, but I will keep ke- checking up on and che- uh, <laughs> responding to questions and thoughts through the Patreon. So if you do listen to this podcast and you are enjoying it and you'd like to hear, more about the day-to-day of whatever ends up happening at Wooden Boat Building School, please feel free to send questions or comments uh, to me through the Patreon. Or, you know, you can email me. My email is strangely at tuta, S-T-R-A-N-G-E-L-Y at T-U-T-A dot I-O. And I'd, I'd love to hear from you folks. I'm in some ways being a little bit less accessible to messages and things while I'm at school, partly because school is going to be taught in Norwegian and I don't want to be thinking in English. I, you know, I sort of want to be thinking in Norwegian as much as possible to help me follow along with what's going on. But I I do want to keep this particular line of communication open. And I I think it'll be really fun. I think years from now, if I can keep this up and keep sharing On a semi regular basis, I'll enjoy having this record. And I think it will be a little bit easier for me to do if I don't worry about scripting these like I usually do. And I just sort of sit down and have a chin wag for half an hour every two weeks and get you caught up on what's been going on. So I know this was a a little bit more of the past year, but I kind of wanted to set the stage for me finally arriving in Norway. And looking forward to wooden boat building school. I should say one last thing about three for silver. The band isn't doing a fall tour and the spring tour had been booked with a lineup that didn't include me already before I joined the band. So if you're a fan of having seen me as part of three for silver, or that's something you're looking forward to seeing, I will be back with three for silver next July at Oregon country fair. And then going forward, there is a job waiting for me when I'm done with school which is very exciting. But for now, here I am, sitting in an old farmhouse in the hills outside Oslo, next to a gravel logging road, wondering what's about to happen next. I'll see you all in a couple weeks, and I'll tell you about what's about to happen next.